Hi everyone, I'm Mike Novogratz and this is Next with Nova. So I'm here with Chael Sonnen. I saw him uh, last week in Miami at a MMA fight. It was, it was a new uh, a new league, uh, Khabib. Who else is in that league? Who put it together? Eagle. Khabib's putting it on. Khabib, and then he brought his friends over from Russia. They're actually yeah, they're they're actually based in Russia, but doing shows in Miami. I, you know, I met Khabib in Saudi Arabia. He had, he goes to the Hajj a lot. He was coming back from the Hajj. I met him in Jeddah at the Formula One race, uh, and we're sitting there in the prince's box and someone introduced me and i'm looking at him and he comes back up to me he says you're a wrestler <laughs> you know he says you look like you want to get hands on me and i was like yeah you're right i i do want to get hands on you just to see and then two nights in a row i hung out with him what a lovely guy he is a great guy i i kind of got to know him here novo i've known him for years just because the community's small but i've never spent any time with him and in fact when i flew out to this thing to participate in khabib's organization I thought he had just loaned his name to something, but spending the day with him behind the scenes, I mean, he was he was calling shots. Every, every single decision that was made went through Khabib. This is truly what he's doing now. And we don't see, I don't know if we've ever seen it in MMA. Oscar De La Hoya in boxing competed very well, retired, and went on to be a promoter with Golden Boy. This is the first time in MMA where a champion has stepped to the other side of the table. I wish him luck. It's a hard business. Yeah, no, I was pretty excited. Uh, it was it was a fun environment down there. It was great to see you and Henry Cejudo and, you know, a bunch of the other guys. I, I literally showed up. I was in Miami. He invited me. Uh, but I liked him. He He's tough. He's funny. Uh, no alcohol. That was a little bit of a bummer for me. Uh, I, like to, I like to drink and watch in general. <laughs> I'll tell you, yeah, he's got his rules that he goes by. And yet no alcohol was one that I noticed. No ring card girls. I don't know if you noticed that. Yep. And there'll be no uh, female fights, at least in this organization for now. And that's a cultural thing that I think over here we need to show respect to. A lot of people are pushing back, but I think we need to show respect to the culture uh, that's leading the organization. I thought it had a good feel. I mean, I must tell you, I've been to many first-time events, Novo and uh, Beat the Streets being one of them. There, there's a certain feel, there's a certain energy about Eagle FC. I think it's got legs. He's bringing in top fighters. He's got good distribution. I mean, he's got a few of the pieces in place. It's a complicated puzzle, but I think he's doing well. By the way, Novo, I, I tried to ask you this the other day, but I didn't get over to talk to you. The last time we spoke, you personally were interested in getting Cox and Schneider together. Are you any closer or is anybody booking that match? Cox and Snyder is booked. It's booked in, I think, uh, a month or something up in Michigan. Super match okay. it's called. I think Flo put it on. Uh, or maybe right, you're not. Okay, but it is going to happen. And then, by the way, here's my second question to that. Are they? Because I heard they were going to wrestle. Are they going to wrestle? Or are they going to do a two out of three? Are we going to get what we should have got? No, I think it's it's, it's it's a. I think it's a one match super match. I, I talked to Jaden. We were trying to get Jaden to come to the Jersey. Uh, RTC, and he ended up because of I think Kevin Jackson going to Michigan. Uh, I thought I'm a good salesman, and all my persuasion, and it didn't work. Uh, but I talked to him about the Super Match, and he was pretty excited for it. Okay, and I think it's a mistake. I think they should go two out of three. I think they should sell it that way, Mark. We're going to relive what you should have had. We're going to find out who the true Olympian should be. That's what I think. But I'm greedy. I'm being greedy. I want more <laughs> entertainment. Two out of three. I think we should push for it. You know, I was talking to Khabib about Sadalayev, and I said I would have loved to have seen uh, uh, Cox versus Sadalayev. And, you know, Khabib's, he he's Dagestani through and through. He was like, I couldn't have a chance. But I actually, I, I disagree. I think Jaden is so smooth and, and fast. 
and that's just a different style that that Sadalai is used to. And so, sure. Uh, and anyway, Khabib, Khabib's a massive wrestler. You know, he's from Dagestan, but he didn't compete competitively. He had no national or European championship. He didn't have those aspirations, but he was in the room. He's in the room with wrestlers. He competitively went in to sambo and judo because that's what his father did. So Khabib's been around him. When you see Khabib in MMA who can out-wrestle everybody, he takes our All-Americans and takes them down four and five times in one round. But there's a little bit more to it. Whether he competed and had the same goals as you and I did, or he was around those guys. He was around those rooms. He was around that same circuit as a lot of Olympic champions. Yeah, crazy. You know, it was interesting, too. He he put a tweet up or an Instagram picture, and I was in it, and he posted me. And uh, I didn't realize he has 36 million followers. He's a global sensation. I was getting DMs from Des Bryant. I was like, isn't that the, that's the Des Bryant football player. And, you know, Kurt Angle, I mean, some heroes. It's interesting, his, his reach. So we'll wish Eagle well. All right, let's get to you. Uh, you know, give us a little of your history. I want, you know, I've got this podcast. I've got a strange group of followers. Uh, I, I broadly say I'm going to introduce you to the, the guys I meet. Some are criminal justice reformers, movie stars, uh, some are athletes, wrestlers, uh, a lot of crypto people. And I just decided I would take my network and share it with this audience. Um, and so born and raised. Sure. So uh, Westland, Oregon. Uh, I claim Portland because nobody knows Oregon. So I, I claim Portland, but I'm in a, a small town called Westland. Was born here. I'll die here. This is home for me. I'm going to be governor of this state someday. So I will never leave these people. But I will tell you this, uh, I went to the University of Oregon. I had wrestling aspirations. I tried to make the Olympic team and uh, it did that wrestler lifestyle in the year 2000, which seems like yesterday. I got close. I lost one match. I ended up, uh, they called it an alternate. I was third. And um, I stayed in wrestling uh, just as a coach, started a kid's team but as a way of, of giving back. And I got to tell you, Novo, I've been in that for about 24 years now coaching. I'm about ready to get out. I love the guys and I love the group, but it's almost enough time. And I got a little maniac myself. He's six years old. He's got gymnastics three days a week. It's the highlight of my week. So I try not to miss it. And then I turn to guys like you. I follow your channel very closely. I probably know a lot more about you than you do about me because I am a crypto guy. Uh, I'm cronies with uh, Jesse Jansen, by example. So, you, you know, somebody very good and resourceful that can keep me in the loop a little bit. Tell me what to look for. Tell me where the, the networks are. So you... You were a Greco guy after college, uh, and you pivoted to the MMA. What what got you to decide you want to fight? So it's a little bit different now in that we back to wrestling, but that we have regional training centers at a lot of the top colleges. It used to be if you were a post grad, you either got an assistant coaching role somewhere, or your ability to continue wrestling at a high level was non-existent. And I was back in that time. So this was back in two thousand. Now the good news is. I had one year of college left. So I was still, you know, my parents were still paying for the apartment and I, I had some food through scholarship money. And I was able to be in that practice room twice a day. And I only bring that to you because, you know, it was a little bit different life than what the guys are going through now. And you kind of have to get it done right away. Back then, 23 to 27, and then you're on the, the old side and you're, you're, you're kind of out of the game. I was still in there where, you know, a 22-year-old could compete. So I did the Greco, but I was training. My point on that is, to get workouts for Greco was very difficult. We had right. the Olympic Training Center, or you kind of had to make some buddies. Well, Randy Couture and Dan Henderson had each other. I found out about it. So I made a phone call. I didn't know those guys. I made a phone call. They said you can come up, and I, I was there every single day at 3. And it was two hours away. I lived in Eugene, Oregon. I had to drive two hours for practice every day. But wow. it was a very elite 
Greco-Roman training. And so I would get these great workouts. And a lot of times on the way home, I would stop in Corvallis and get another hour in uh, with less gutches. So I had all the right bodies to put myself in a, a good training situation. But after uh, the Olympic trials, I kept going to practice every day at three. It was like Pavlog's dog. I, di I didn't know any different. One day I showed up. They had gloves on and, and no wrestling shoes. They threw me a pair of gloves, and we were doing MMA instead. So I didn't really have a choice. I was always a fan. It was kind of something I was interested in. But I didn't have a choice. Those were the, those were my heroes. Those were the guys I looked up to. I go in at 3 o'clock. They said, we're doing this. We're doing this. Nothing like getting pounded by Randy Couture for a while to, to tender you up a little bit for MMA. <laughs> so you had, you had three title fights. I'm going to call you close but no cigar, but some amazing fights. Sure. Uh, Anderson Silva, one of the greats of all time. Take us through a little bit of that. Uh, how do you feel looking back close? I mean, he's, he's, he's a beast. Sure. And I think about it all the time. The, the match, here's the good news to getting my heart broken in that match. The match that kept me up the most, I was an all American and I was in the, the blood round the following year with a kid named Zach Thompson out of Iowa state. I was ahead. I was ahead in the match. I just had to beat the clock. I got greedy. I went for a roll. I went to my back, and I never got off it. But that match is the one that kept me up more than anything in my life until the fight with Anderson. So in some ways, it was nice to say goodbye to the, uh, yeah. the, the blood round match. On the other hand of it, yeah, man, that hurt. And that opportunity, I never got in it for, you know, again, to the wrestling mindset, I know you'll be able to relate to this. We were never doing it for the money or the fame because we didn't have money or fame. So when I got into MMA, I don't know anything about these arguments some of these new guys are talking about. I need this and I need this. I didn't need anything but an opponent. And I got a call one day. Dana White never knew my name. He tried, though. He would go to press conferences and call me Kale, Kale Sohn. And he was close. He calls me up one day. He says, Kale, it's Dana. I'm, Hello? And he says, will you fight Anderson Silva? And I said, yes. And he said, good, because I just went on ESPN and announced it. So <laughs> there was my opportunity, Novo. And that's all I ever wanted, right? I just wanted an opportunity. I knew I could beat these guys. And back to being in the room with Randy Couture, Dan Henderson, these were the top guys in the world. So I had a very good understanding of where I stood. And I wanted that shot. They gave it to me. I'm very grateful that I had it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great story. You know, I, there's a guy named Tony Panza, who I lost to in overtime in the state finals of Virginia, AAA. And at least once every six months, he pops into my head. And I sometimes think I should thank him because he kind of drove me as well. Still pissed off about it because, you know, winning the states, was, they had the spotlight. It was the beautiful raised mat, you know. And for where I came from, and I was a decent wrestler, but not great. That was, I would have been the first state champ in high school history. And, and so... Yeah, it's, it still pisses me off. <laughs> no, well, you got to tell me this. Do you know where Tony is today? Like, does Tony know where you are? That, like, will he hear his name on this? Is there anything on Tony today? I, you know, I don't. He was a three-time state champ. Uh, I did see him in college. He didn't have such a great college career, but he was a three-time state champ in Virginia. So I should track him down. The other guy. You really should. With Facebook, you 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 really should. <laughs> uh, you know, it'd probably be good catching up with him. Might make you feel better. Because I got a guy like that in my closet. I wasn't the state champion. I lost to a guy named Doug Lee. You talk about college. Doug and I went on to be teammates. So I had to be in the room with this. I could never get rid of this darn guy, Doug Lee. <laughs> Tough guy, by the way. Yeah. The, the other one, I, had I, I lost to a guy in college in the Eastern Finals, who I actually beat in the Nationals. Uh, but the Eastern finals was a big deal. Uh, you know, I was going to sure. be, and my whole family was there. They had flown over from Germany. It was the only match they saw me wrestle in college because my parents were in Germany. 
my dad's family, my dad was a great athlete. He was an All-American football player. And he came from a really athletic family. They'd all come down from Northampton, which is the Lehigh Valley, to watch this match. It's at Princeton. Everyone's cheering my name. And uh, yeah, he, he, he headlocked me and then just rode the heck out of me and you know beat me 6-1. It was just a beatdown. I was like, ouch. Bob Hill. But years later, we were at a charity auction for the 100th anniversary of uh, Ivy League wrestling. And my coach's wife, Johnny Johnson, had knitted this giant quilt. She was a knitter. And it was being, you know, auctioned off and silent auction. And uh, I'd seen he bid on it. And I was like, there's one thing he's not going to beat me on. And this is this damn charity auction. So I took a young prince to kid. I said, you stand here and you outbid anybody. (laughs) 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 And so I've got that quilt. (laughs) You got the quilt. Hey, you earned it. You competed for it. You earned that quilt. That's great. Hey, let me ask you something. I just missed, and I mean by two or three years, I missed the Dave Schultz era. I was coached by Mark Schultz. I went to Brigham Young University before they dropped their program. So I knew Mark Schultz, who I stay in somewhat of touch with today. But I didn't know Dave. I knew of Dave, but I didn't know Dave. But his impact in wrestling generations later is stunning to me. I mean, look, Novo, does he deserve all the credit he's given? Was he as great of a guy as I'm told? You know, so this this is interesting, too, because I left in 80, you know, 1992. I went off to Tokyo. Uh, and then Hong Kong. And so that, for a lot of his era, a lot of the Foxcatcher era, I was overseas uh, and wasn't as tight to wrestling. And, you know, Xander Schultz, uh, his son, works with me and is an awesome dude. He runs a thing called Galaxy Labs. We're doing all kinds of cool stuff. And so I've become a great friend of Xander. And through him, I've heard all the stories of his father. And I watched the docs and the wrestling community. People around the world love Dave Schultz. And I was like, well, he would break people's arms. He was a nasty, dirty wrestler, right? But he had, a, he had a spirit that everyone seemed to love, right? He wasn't. And so I, yeah, it's one of the few things I think I shook his hand once, but I didn't get to know him. And it's a, it's a regret. I feel like I get a lot of him through his son. Uh, but yeah, he's, he, anywhere we've gone, people come up and they just, he's a beloved figure. That's exactly how I see it. And I hear all these stories, and I've seen his matches. I mean, I go back on YouTube and I fall. But yes, to your point, he'd rip your arm. He'd choke you out. But then he'd pat you on the back afterwards. Like, he kind of had a demeanor, like a real sportsman. But he was a ferocious wrestler, as was his brother. And uh, just the way that he's revered through all these generations. I got one Dave Schultz story. The closest I ever got to him in my life, I was a junior in high school. They used to hold the Open in the convention center in Las Vegas. It was attached to the Hilton. So we all stay at the Hilton. You had to walk uh, indoor, but about a half a mile to get to the convention center. My mother and I end up right behind Dave Schultz. So I'm going as slow as I can because I'm eavesdropping on everything he's saying. He's got his singlet on. The singlet's up and and he's headed to the arena with the singlet straps up. He's going to wrestle Pat Smith in the open final. Now, don't forget, Pat Smith completed college in 94, one year earlier, and Pat Smith was the heir apparent to the throne yep. of USA wrestling. So, but Pat's got to get through Dave later tonight. And we were walking over and Dave was telling somebody he was with who he was wrestling. The guy finally said to him, right as we got to the arena, the guy says, are you going to win this match? And Dave looked down and looked at the guy and he said, yeah, I'm going to win this match. And then he did. He went out and beat Pat Smith. It was the closest I ever got to Dave. That same day, Zeke Jones lost in the finals, slam dunked his trophy in the garbage can. Dave went over, took it out and took it home with him. And I saw that. <laughs> That's funny. I wonder if Zeke ever got that trophy back. <laughs> I've wondered the same thing. Yes. 
I'll text him and ask him. Hey, so you kind of helped bring trash talking into UFC. Uh, and it's funny because you've got such a spirited personality and, and kind of resonates goodness. Uh, how did that get into your head? Was that a strategy or was it just natural? <laughs> you know? Well, a little bit of both. I enjoyed that. And guys used to talk about honor and respect. And they saw an honor and respect in bowing to your face and stabbing you in the back as soon as you turned around. I preferred to tell the guy, as soon as he turns around, I'm going to put a knife in your back. And then I would. But I had a different code. I would say anything I wanted to anybody I wanted. But I will show up no matter what, whether I'm sick or I'm hurt. I've been competing 33 years and I've never missed a match. And it's not because I haven't been sick and not because I haven't been injured. That was my code. I will go answer for everything that I said against anybody in any weight class. And when I started this, there weren't even weigh-ins. So I covered the spread at 85, 205, and heavyweight. It was truly anyone, anywhere, anytime. But then I was going to do things my way. And I did want to bring entertainment to it. And I did want people to see that. And I grew up as a pro wrestling fan. And a lot of people said they equated some of my trash talk to pro wrestling. But I was a much bigger political fan. Like, Novo, I've never seen a football game, not, not an entire one. I've never seen a NASCAR. I've never seen a baseball game. I know what those things are, but I've never seen a single game. I could tell you every political debate around the country. If it was senators against each other or congressmen or That's amazing. presidents every four years. But those are the guys I learned from. I liked that body language. I liked winning a fight without throwing a punch. And so that was the stuff that I really drew to try to bring attention to my own career. And look, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I would watch all these guys and say, you're fighting in, in these big auditoriums that are not sold out. I will never headline a show and not sell out. And that was just a promise I had made to myself. And my dad and I would work on this. We didn't just work on, on punches and kicks. We would work on selling a fight. How are we going to get attention? How are we going to manipulate the minds of the media? How are we going to get what we want through words? I think there's an art in it. Oh, I, listen, I, I once interviewed... Uh... Floyd Mayweather, a uh, private, private interview. And, uh, you know, his whole shtick, Money Mayweather, pretty boy Floyd, that, that's all a shtick. He, he's never had a drink. He doesn't do drugs. I was like, what? Because I was like trying to get him a drink. He was like, not a drink. <laughs> now he likes the ladies. <laughs> but sure. But he, he was all about, uh, you know, create, creating the energy. Matter of fact, when I was asking about the, the McGregor fight, uh, he said, well, it was finally good to have someone who could at least keep up with me on the dance floor. And I teased him. I said, I, I think Connor might have been a little better than on the dance floor. And he got all mad. He said, hey, hey, I got into his head. I was always teasing, but I got into his head when I was talking about not even rich enough to buy your, your mama a house. <laughs> and he said, I would piss him off. And so he said he wasn't as good as me, but he was pretty sure. good. <laughs> hey, I love that stuff too. And don't forget, you know, Floyd had to pivot over the years. He didn't just come out a finished product. He used to be Pretty Boy Floyd. And yeah. Pretty Boy Floyd did not sell. He became Money Mayweather. He started learning from a lot of rap videos. He started throwing the money around in the watches. And it worked. People were attracted to it. He didn't create that shtick. He identified it on other channels through other forms of media. And then he started borrowing stuff. And I never see something wrong with that. Somebody will say, well, you stole that line or it's gimmick infringement. I go, Mate, you're paying homage. If somebody did it and you identify yeah, it. I'm, you I'm with you. It, I'm no. with you there. I, I, I synthesize a lot of stuff when I'm on stage talking even about markets or, or, or life. Uh, I, every once in a while I'll footnote somebody, but often I don't because it's, you know, you're synthesizing. Sure, uh, sure. Pro wrestling, I, I grew up literally one of the great pro wrestling fans, uh, older than you, so I'm, I was more the Chief J Strongbow era, <laughs> you know, Bruiser Brody, uh, Gorilla Monsoon, all the way through. Uh, who, are your, who are your wrestling legends? Like, who, who's your... 
I actually like those guys. Now, that was real pro wrestling. Back in the 70s, it was still pro wrestling. You got into the 90s, and it became entertainment. Entertainment's okay, but I do like the wrestling where it looks like a struggle. It looks uh, uncooperative and more like a competition and a fight. I really enjoyed that. So, you know, the big John studs of the world, of course, Andre the Giant. Uh, the big one, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Steve Austin. You know, the, the, these were the, the top <laughs> guys, too. But you might remember Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorfer, yep. Jake the Snake Roberts. I mean, this is back when there was still a debate. I remember our own Bruce Baumgartner going on 2020 and slowing down a pro wrestling match and trying to debate whether it was real or not. And Bruce <laughs> didn't know for sure, but he was pretty sure that they were cooperating with each other. And I mean, this is the the baddest real man alive wasn't positive. Remember that back in the 80s? There was 36 states that had uh, boxing and wrestling commissions, which means taxpayers yeah. at the discretion of the governor regulated these things because 36 governors thought it was real. That yep. was an amazing time to be alive, quite frankly. No, I I, I once tried, tried to buy a script. I tried to buy the Vince McMahon script because it, he has such a spectacular story. But, you know, I figured you needed Vince to cooperate on the script and that wasn't going to happen. Uh, but that would be a fun movie to make. That, that guy has literally been revolutionary in Definitely. entertainment and sports. Definitely. Jer Jeremy Jerry Briscoe. Yes, I know Jerry quite well. I just spoke to him last night, as a matter of fact. One of my favorite things to do in life is me, my brother, JBL, and Jerry Briscoe sitting around drinking beers, and those two son of a bitches are the funniest guys on the planet, and they can talk wrestling for nine straight hours, and I can listen. <laughs> sure. Sure. Hey, J tell me about Jerry's brother, Jack. I've read about Jack, but Jack was quite the, the the amateur, right? I mean, was Jack ever a threat to make world and Olympic teams? You know, I'm, I'm, it's it's beyond my pay grade. Uh, I know he was a great wrestler, and I know he became a great pro wrestler, right? The Briscoe brothers, but I don't know how good of a, a wrestler he was. Uh, okay. I know he was a champ. He was a champ at least one time for Oklahoma State. I want to say a 190-pounder. He was a big guy. But I never heard about him trying the freestyle in the Greco-Roman. So, so I was always curious about that. Yes, Jerry. Jerry loves his brother. He'll tell you his brother could beat Danny Hodge. He was the greatest ever, and I respect that. Jerry's got better Danny Hodge stories than anyone I've ever heard, and they—they they, unfortunately they're not—they're not for me to tell on this podcast. They're for us to hear over some beers. But wow, there are some good stories. So you now you're. You're young, you got energy, you're going to be the governor one day, you've got your own podcast, your YouTube channel, you're, you're a commentator. Uh, what, how does this chapter evolve? Well, I must tell you, it was never a really thought out plan, Novo. Like, I got into podcasting, I have the biggest podcast in MMA, small space, but the biggest podcast. When I got into that, I thought podcast was two words, pod, space, cast, that's how little I knew about it. And uh, this whole digital, I, I don't I don't go to digital. I turn on a radio if I want to hear things. I turn on a TV if I want to see things. These kids are doing it another way. My kids don't even ask for a television. I used to pray for a television. Every birthday, every Christmas, my parents would never get me one. My kids have tablets. They don't even watch it. So I kind of learn a lot from the next generation, right? What's going to be cool and where do you need to be? I see that you're doing the same thing. But I have a lot of interest. Politics probably are my, my top interest. But um. You know, I'm a huge wrestling fan. I like the Olympics. I, I you know, I, Winter Olympics isn't the real Olympics for me, but I'm still a fan. I'm looking forward to this coming on. And, um, I, you know, I would just share with you that, yeah, getting into podcasting or getting into media, uh, I work for ESPN full-time. I have a weekly show over there or, or getting to call the fights. If there's a way to participate, 
particularly in the sport of MMA or wrestling, which I love. I can't do either anymore. I can't, I can't, I just can't do it. So to participate without actually being out there with your straps up is very hard to do. So I feel very fortunate, but it was never a goal. The reason it wasn't a goal is you know, I can remember my sixth grade teacher asking us on the first day, what do you all want to do? And we had to write it down on a piece of paper. And I put, I'm going to be the president of the United States. I remember this very clearly, but I would have said, be a fight announcer or uh, have a podcast if those things even existed. So we have some very good leadership. Dana White, just by example, one of the, the great minds, the great business visionaries that I've ever been around has created these opportunities. And if it continues to grow, I'm going to continue to shift a little bit. I, I want to stay on the cutting edge, Novo. Awesome. I love that. Well, listen, this has been a ton of fun. I didn't want to take too much of your time. I just love the energy you bring to everything you do. Uh, I'm going to keep watching. Uh, we'll we'll collaborate on on some fight one day. You know, me putting on a super match from wrestling in Times Square. I you, you haven't seen the end of me. I, I really some of the my my highlights of the last twenty years were those matches in Times Square with Beat the Streets, uh, and so you know that that era ended a little bit, and and we got to kind of pick it back up. COVID's over in my well, mind. I keep I keep well, calling the I keep calling the end of COVID, <laughs> and, and I get yelled at a little yeah. bit. But I really think it's time for the country to let it go. Uh, you know, take the masks off. People should get vaccinated if they decide not to. That's their business at this point. No more vax passports. Uh, I think we need to start healing the country a little bit. Uh, and you know, open her back up. No, I'm a fan, buddy. I appreciate your time. I'm gonna keep following your good work. <laughs>